It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many brutes are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself, the world with its own needs. Something to your own head, beat it up, and I've seen got no seats. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, the fire, of the gangs, the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury's beating down your neck. Better keep your border jump the ground with that low plane Find and up for overflow Find the next corner to put in a loose Leave your devil, save your devil world in your own need your heart Tell me that the river in the river was the right You patriotic, patriotic, plan fight Right, my feeling is quit inside It's the end of the world as we know it It's the end of the world as we know it It's the end of the world as we know it And I feel fine Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour. Of doom. And bloom. And bloom. (laughs) Hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a minute of morality in an immoral world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Boom, Dr. Boom, Dr. Bones. Is that your new name? Dr. Boone, Daniel Boone, Dr. Bones (laughs) of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 700 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. I'm a codger, but mm-hmm. I've got a calling, and that's to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. Awesome. I am Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. Also known as Nurse Amy, she is the hostess with the absolute mostess. <laughs> so tough she brushes her teeth with steel wool and wire. wire. Barbed wire, as a matter of fact. Aww. Together, we are the watchers on the wall, and we watch it all for you to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident? With a mysterious marmot, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and her Sammy, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. That's right. We're here for your edutainment. Edutainment. Are you being entertained yet? I don't know. I'm not. Aw. Well, anyhow. But you know what? Don't listen to a thing we say. I guess that's what that disclaimer says. But you know what? There might still be a nugget of knowledge somewhere that you can store in your noggin. Mm -hmm. What's up, Buttercup? We learn as much from you guys as you do from us. So connect with us. It is easy. Here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. Email us anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. You can follow us at a couple of our groups, Doom and Bloom and also Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We have Twitter, 
at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And our Bless video you, cast. Bless you, my darling. I'm gravelly today. I need some water. Oh, it sounds sexy. <laughs> sexy. Ooh. And our video cast, the first and third Wednesday of every month at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at AroundTheCabin.com. Hey, I just want to remind everybody that we are still in the middle of National Preparedness Month. Sure enough, September is National Preparedness Month. I hope you've been reviewing your preps, making sure you have what you need if things go south. Remember, the U.S. has a valuable website in ready.gov. There's a lot of good information in there. And guess what? Your taxes support it, so you might as well get some use out of it. Go to ready.gov. All right, you know, last time we spoke a little bit about eye issues in austere settings, and I wanted to talk a little bit about infections and injuries this time. So let's go over some of that. You know that activities of daily survival, chopping wood, let's say, for one, could easily cause injuries to the eye, especially if you don't have eye protection. You'll regret it if you don't have a pair of goggles in your supplies. That is, I think, an important item to have. Now, there are various eye issues that the survival medic is going to encounter in a grid-down setting, and the most common will probably be conjunctivitis. That's otherwise known as pink eye. Now, conjunctivitis is an inflammation that causes the affected eye to become red and itchy and many times will cause a milky, yucky discharge uh, that will come out of the eye and sort of accumulate sort of right in the edge here. Now, it can be caused by chemical irritation, like soap in your eyes, for example, a foreign body, an allergy, or an infection. Now, pink eye is highly contagious among kids, especially, because they rub their eyes and then they touch everything and they touch each other. And studies have shown that people commonly touch their faces and eyes with their dirty, dirty hands throughout the day. Observe any family member for a half hour, you'll see that that is absolutely true. Now, irritated red eye... Uh, red eyes with tears, you can see that in allergic reactions, and this can be treated with antihistamines orally, like Benadryl, or antihistamine eye drops. Now, eye allergies can be told apart from eye infections. They're less likely to have that milky discharge associated with them, and probably will be itchier, and you might even see more swelling in the extreme cases. Now, to avoid spreading germs that cause eye infections, I don't know if I talked about this last week, but I just wanted to mention that you should never touch the tip of a bottle of eye drops with your hands or your eyes because that can contaminate it with germs. <coughs> oh my goodness gracious, <laughs> like did that? you just sneeze? I did. You're having an allergic reaction right here. Wow. <laughs> now talk about show and tell, huh? Yes. <laughs> All right, what was I saying? Before I was so rudely <laughs> to, rudely interrupted. How to not spread germs. <laughs> yeah. How to, how to prevent the spread of germs. Yes, cover your mouth. Now, anyhow, don't touch the tip of a bottle of eye drops with your hands or your eyes because that can contaminate it with germs. The bottle should be kept two to three inches above your eye. Make sure that there's no contact between the eye and the bottle. You can contaminate the entire bottle and you'll wind up just making a mess. Now, don't put contact lenses in your mouth to wet them. I've seen people do this. Many bacteria and viruses, maybe even the virus that causes cold sores, yes. are present in your mouth. They could easily spread to your eyes, so be careful about that. And then, speaking of contacts, change them often. The longer they stay in your eyes, the more chance your eye can get infected or even develop ulcers 
in the cornea, which cornea, which is the uh, uh, clear layer that goes over the colored part of your eye, and it helps helps you with vision. Of course, wash your hands regularly. That's pretty uh, basic. I think everybody knows that. Anytime you have an eye examination, I want you to ask the doctor if they have any samples of any medicated eye drops to give you in case of emergency. I think that's important. And the most important is don't share your eye makeup with others. I never do. <laughs> I, I will never let you use my mascara and eyeliner. I ever. refuse to use <laughs> other people's makeup, eye makeup. Wow. Uh, you know, antibiotics like doxycycline, uh, bird biotic, 100 milligrams uh, twice a day. They come in packets. Uh, use that for a week or less if you improve beforehand. That will help relieve infectious pink eye conjunctivitis. Herbal treatment may also be of benefit. And to treat pink eye using natural products, you can have, a, actually you have a number of choices. You can apply a wet chamomile or golden seal tea bag to the closed affected eye for about 10 minutes every couple of hours. You can make a, a chamomile or eye bright tea, let cool, and then use the liquid as an eye wash too, using uh, an eye cup three or four times daily. That is also uh, a very, very effective way of dealing with it. Some people have used uh, a teaspoon of baking soda and two cups of cool water, and they use that as an eye wash. Other people dissolve a tiny amount of honey in a cup of hot water, and let it cool first, of course, and then use that as an eye wash. So there are a lot of actual choices here with regards to natural products. Now, if you don't want to put them directly in your eye, use the tea, baking soda liquid, or honey solution on gauze or cloth, and then apply a compress to the affected eye for about 10 minutes. should be warm, about every two hours, I'd say. For, for relief from the discomfort, you might even consider doing the old-timey method of putting a slice of cucumber over the eyes. That has a cooling action and may make you feel better. So that's something that is useful for pink eye. Now, there's another common eye issue. It's called a sty. Uh, and probably everybody's gotten one at one point or another. The sty is essentially a pimple which is formed on the eyelid. It causes redness, causes some swelling, generally uncomfortable. Now, warm, moist compresses, they're helpful in allowing the sty to drain, and that's what you want it to do. Now, you can use antibiotic eye drops, uh, Tobradex, T-O-B-R-A-D-E-X. That's a common one. Your eye doctor will have it. Uh, that'll prevent worsening of this infection, and that will usually resolve on its own if you can if you can stand it over the next few days so this is something that I think is very useful to do now uh, the thing the antibiotics I mentioned uh, or the natural treatments also can be used they they can be helpful for that and I think that that's important now you know what one thing that's important is to make sure you don't get injuries to the eyes the human body is really a, a miracle of Engineering, I have to tell you, the, the conformation of your skull is such that your eyes are recessed in bony sockets, and it helps prevent them from injury. Now, despite that, there are many different activities of daily living, especially of daily survival, that can be traumatic to your eyes. Of course, some of the few, some of the ways you can injure your eyes, you can use uh, tools and have an accident with one of your tools. You can get splatter from bleach or other household chemicals that you're using, maybe to sterilize water or to clean your survival sick room. Uh, of course, lawnmowers, hedge clippers, or any of those kind of gardening tools are, are causes. Now you can have grease, hot grease, go into your eye, splattering from cooking. That is something that can happen. Of course, wood chips when you chop wood for fuel 
and of course any hot appliances near your face hair dryers curling irons they can also do it if you're not careful i mean the list goes on and on really you can injure your eye by popping the cork on a bottle of champagne really if you if you could find champagne in the aftermath of a disaster and you know the truth of the matter is, is that the grand majority of these, these injuries are completely avoidable with some eye protection. And despite, so back to the goggles, goggles, glasses, you know, you got to protect yourself. Despite this, it's likely you'll come upon an eye injury at one point or another. The main thing to do when anyone presents with you with pain in their eyes, you got to take a good look. A foreign object is a common cause for the problem. It's up to you to find it. So get a moist cotton swab. These cute, or any Q-tip will do. And by the way, those are really good to have in your survival uh, medical storage. And lift and evert, that is turn inside out, uh, the eyelid. Now this is going to allow you to effectively examine the area. Now you got to be able to take a look and be able to see what's going on. Uh, some water can be used as irrigation to flush out the foreign object. That's something that's useful. Uh, you can touch uh it lightly with a q-tip and sometimes that will help dislodge it usually it's not something that's actually impaled the eye so you usually can get it out with just a q-tip now assuring that there's no foreign object still present then take a good look at the cornea the, which i mentioned was a clear layer of tissue over the colored part of your eye that by the way is called the iris the colored part and that exists for purposes not only of protection but it helps you with focusing as well so it's a very important layer of tissue when it's damaged it causes what we call an abrasion and this type of injury can be caused by any of the things that i mentioned just before and people by the way who are not very careful with their contact lenses are especially at risk for scratching their cornea uh, the victim of uh, a corneal abrasion will probably tell you that they feel that there's like a grain of sand in the eye that is probably a pretty good clue that that's what's happened. Now, after cleaning the eye out with water using antibiotic eye drops, if you can, cover that eye with an eye pad and tape. And if you can do that and secure it in place, then that'll up, allow the uh, a little additional protection so that that can heal. And they heal, actually heals very fast. So uh, your body is indeed a miracle of engineering, as I said. Uh, ibuprofen is good for pain relief uh, and over the next few days the eye will heal now for preventing this remember wear eye protection whenever you're performing any activity of daily survival that can cause an, an eye injury uh, or just a normal life if you're doing any carpentry or target shooting or using power tools uh, any of these can uh, cause an eye injury so be very careful it's not just for you by the way it's for anyone who's close to you while you're doing these activities make sure that they understand that they should have eye protection as well now when working in the yard watch for low-hanging branches be situationally aware in other words if you're going to be walking around in in a briar patch well you know you better make sure that you, the, those briars don't get near your eye um, let's say if you're mowing the the yard in normal times remove loose objects that might be in your path make sure your kids never point a garden hose for example to someone's face uh, if it, you have a forceful enough jet that can cause an abrasion you got to put your contact lenses in very carefully don't sleep in them that is i think an important thing to know uh, kids and adults too by the way keep your fingernails trimmed short that's important and if if they're rough i mean you can file them with any type any kind of file and of course if you're using a frying pan yeah, you might consider using a grease shield to protect you from splatter 
Now, occasionally blunt trauma to the eye can, or even a simple action like coughing or sneezing too hard can cause a patch of blood to appear in the white of the eye. A lot of people have had this before I've had it. This is called a subconjunctival hemorrhage, woo, or hyphema, H-Y-P-H-E-M-A. It can certainly be alarming if you're looking at someone that has it. Luckily, this type of hemorrhage isn't dangerous. It'll go away on its own without any treatment. But if there's a loss of vision associated with the hyphema, there is cause for concern. And this is most likely after a significant episode of blunt trauma to the area you've got to evaluate this injury as we talked about earlier for abrasions. And if you don't see anything going on there, then the blunt trauma itself may be all that's there. Now, this patient should have their head elevated. You know why? Because that will allow any blood to drain to the lower part of the eye chamber. That's something that is uh, just something that gravity is gravity. Physics is physics. That's what's going to happen. And then that may help preserve vision and get, get that blood away from uh, where you're eye is trying to focus now if you then apply cool compresses uh, lightly to the affected eye that will be helpful for to relieve pain and over the course of time uh, this this will take longer though but over the course of time it will get better all right well bear with me for a minute so I can get a little housekeeping out of the way before our next topic now the question that I have for everybody is, are you ready to handle medical issues in times of trouble? I hope so. I've been talking about it for years, and I hope you've been listening to some of it at least. But if you haven't, you might still benefit from getting a copy of our Amazon bestseller, The Survival Medicine Handbook. It'll give you a head start in just about any disaster or epidemic and give you tons of tips That'll help you keep your family healthy in times of trouble. And you know what? It is all in plain English. Absolutely. If you can read English, then this book is for you. So um, put old Dr. Bones, lovely Nurse Amy, in your survival library. Head to Amazon.com. Get a copy personally signed if you wanted by going to our website at doomandbloom.net. Now, for those of you who have kept our book on the most wished-for list in Amazon but are a little short on cash, we have a shorter, uh, abbreviated version. It's less expensive. It's published by Skyhorse Publishing, and it's called, they titled it uh, The Ultimate Survival Medicine Guide. It, it's more compact, might be more useful for you in other ways, and it is now available on Amazon. That's The Ultimate Survival Medicine Guide. And I want people to remember that Nurse Amy's put together a pretty awesome line of medical kits for times of trouble, as well as individual items. Check them out at store.doomandbloom.net. And so I appreciate you guys putting up with my shameless plugs. Uh, Nurse Amy's actually, after I think she's had a sneezing fit, and she should be back here momentarily. I hope that... I can keep you entertained until then. Uh, what I'd like to talk about next is something that is really one of the scariest issues you might encounter in your role as survival medic, and that's broken bones. What the heck are you going to do about broken bones? And let's face it, most injuries you'll face, will probably you'll probably be to soft tissues, hopefully just cuts to the skin and the like, but you know, you got to be ready for anything, and certainly the risks of traumatic injury, like fractures, are certainly an issue. They, when a bone is broken, it's termed a fracture. 
Now, if enough force is applied, an injury to soft tissues can damage the skeletal structure underneath. It only makes sense, right? Some of these are going to be simply, uh, relatively simple to deal with, but others may only be successfully treated, and by that I mean return to full function with surgical pins or other advanced methods. So what can you as a method, as a, as a medic do, believe it or not, you can actually deal with a number of these injuries in a very successful fashion. So let's talk about fractures. There are several different types. There's that, what we call a reduced fracture or a stable fracture. And that's the simplest type, one of the simplest types. The, in this case, the broken ends of the bone are barely out of place. There's also a hairline fracture in which the bones are not out of place at all, but there's a crack along the bone somewhere that can cause pain. And that is something that uh, may also destabilize it or decrease the strength of the bone in that area. Now, there's also the open or the what used to be called a compound fracture. In, a, in an open fracture or compound fracture, the skin's pierced by the broken bone due to the trauma. And there may be some of the bone actually above the skin. But don't think that it has to be above the skin. It could easily have popped back in below it. Now, that isn't a good thing either, even though you might think it is. It's something that may cause infection. So we'll talk, be talking about that later. There's another type of fracture called a, a, tra a oblique or transverse fracture. That tells you the line of the broken bone. It might be just straight horizontal or it might be at some kind of weird angle. That would be an oblique fracture. There's the comminuted fracture, a really complex one in which the bone just shatters into several pieces. And that takes a long time to heal from. Uh, the green stick fracture is when one end of the bone snaps and the other uh, remains intact, one side of the bone. That's reminiscent of trying to, uh, I guess, snap a piece of green wood or live wood in two. So, for our purposes today, let's assume that fractures are either all open or closed. Closed fracture is pretty much all the ones that I mentioned before, except for the compound fracture. The skin's intact, but the bone is broken. And an open fracture is when the bone is, when the skin is broken and as well as the bone. So that is something. Now, usually, I guess I don't really have to say this, but there's usually more blood loss and infection associated with an open wound. Uh, blood vessels and nerves are, mo are more likely to be damaged, although they often run so close to the bone. It really doesn't have to be an open wound for these structures to be affected. Now, infections, though, occur much more commonly in open fractures. They may be deep in the skin itself. Uh, that's called cellulitis. Uh, it could be in the blood, the, which we call septicemia, or it could be the bone itself. The infection in the bone would be termed osteomyelitis. All of these infections can lead to a life-threatening situation if they're not treated, and certainly if you don't manage a closed fracture well and you don't really stabilize it and, and, and reduce the deformity, that can become an open fracture later if you don't watch out. Now, the diagnosis of a broken bone can be very simple, as when the bone is obvious, you know, the arm obviously pointing in a direction that nature didn't intend, or it could be minimal uh, or very difficult to see. In a hairline fracture, for example, it may not look much different. It all might be a little swelling. Uh, X-rays and MRIs and other advanced procedures, these are helpful to differentiate a small fracture from a big sprain, but that technology, let's face it, is not going to be available in a power-down setting. 
Though there's some ways, however, that you might be able to tell the difference between, let's say, a fracture and a sprain. Now, a fracture is going to manifest with severe pain and inability to use the bone, cer certainly much more than you get from a sprain. In a fracture, the patient can't put any weight whatsoever. For example, let's say on a broken ankle, let's say you're a football player, you could be helped off the field if you have a sprain to your ankle, but if you broke your ankle, you might have to be carried off the field. So there you go. Now, you may see more pronounced swelling and bruising in a fracture than a sprain. That doesn't also always happen, but I've seen some, some pretty impressive looking areas that are, are sprains, even though they're, they have a lot of uh, bruising and swelling. But the more pronounced it is, the more likely you have a fracture on your hands. Now, when you press upon a broken bone, the, the broke, as you get close to the broken ends, they sort of grate against each other as you feel a grinding sensation as you're pressing along there. And that actually you may give you a clue that you're dealing with a fracture. Now, if you use a stethoscope uh, while a tuning fork, your regular old tuning fork, is placed on one end of a questionable bone injury, that might actually help figure out whether there's a fracture or not. If there's diminished or absent sound coming from the injured bone in that area as compared with another part of the bone that is obviously not injured, that may represent a positive sign for a fracture. Of course, a deep cut in the area of the injury, that's a likely sign of an open fracture. You've got to be really suspicious of any cut that's not superficial. That's a deep cut in the area of an injury where there may be a, a fracture. Now, uh, of course, if the bones move in an area where there's no joint, you got a dead giveaway that there's a fracture. In other words, if you s suddenly have six uh, knuckles on your index finger, you probably <laughs> broke your index finger. And look who's back. Are you better? Um, yeah. I blew my nose. Hopefully the allergies, whatever. Good. Was tickling me inside this library of yours. Yes, the dusty, <laughs> dusty old well, library. Well, there are some wonderful... Like a tomb, like no. like a mummy's tomb. No, but there's just some wonderful books that, no matter what you do, are always going to have a little dust on them. Oh, yeah. And the more you have, the more dust. Right, right. We pick up a lot of these books and try to get rid of the dust, but some of these books <laughs> are turning into dust. They're I so old. I got a couple of books here that are uh, that Bible. back... That big Bible right there. That Bible's from, that Bible's from yeah. 1802. Um, that History of England was actually printed the year that George Washington was born, 1732. So, That's wow. Amazing. But we have an entire lineup of, of books. I love history, but we also have a lot of medical books. We have Bibles. Uh, I love those. We like some children's books. We have some children's old books. Classics. Yep, yep. I have an, uh, an old, we have oh, an old Wizard of Oz over there. And I like etiquette books. And yes, ladies, ladies books and things mm -hmm. like that. And Emily Post. Emily Post. That's first right. edition and stuff like that. Well, so anyhow, so sorry. Oh, we but we digress. I'm talking about fractures, we did buddy. Digress. That's terrible. But that's okay. All right. Well, dealing with a fractured bone involves first evaluating the injured area for signs and symptoms. So what do you need? You need a bandage or an EMT, a bandage scissors, a EMT scissors. Did I say scissors? I think I did. Uh, si Actually, it sounded pretty good. All right, good. Well, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> so use your bandage scissors or EMT scissors uh, or shears to cut away the clothing over the injury. Now, this is going to help you see what's going on, but it also help prevent further injury that may occur 
if you make the patient try to remove their own clothing. So that's important. Of course, you got to check the site for bleeding, especially if there's an open wound. And if that's the case, you got to stop the bleeding before you do anything else. Stop the bleeding. Now, fractures can cause damage to the patient's circulation and the limb affected. So it's important to check the area beyond the level of the injury for changes in coloration. And what happens is, is uh, the skin may turn white or blue instead of normal skin color, and you may wind up not having a good steady pulse. So you're looking for strong and steady pulses. That's important. Normal color returns to skin and the fingertips normally within a couple of seconds of applying pressure and then releasing. You could do this sim simply by pressing with your thumb on the pad of your um, middle finger and it'll turn white. And then within two seconds, if you have normal circulation, that is, it will turn normal color again. And this is called the capillary refill time. It's not only useful in evaluating fractures, but it's one of the main things that you do when you come across a victim of a mass casualty event. And then in when you do triage, which means to sort, to figure out who's really damaged and who really isn't. Now, to find out what a strong pulse feels like, what you do is you place a couple of fingers on the side of your neck until you feel your neck arteries pulsing. Now, you can do this same action on, say, the wrist, just below the uh, base of the thumb, uh, and if the patient has broken their arm and has damage to the circulation, that pulse, which is called the radio pulse, may be weak. Now, for legs, you'll find pulses behind the knee and you'll find pulses on top of the foot that you can also check to see the circulation there. <clears throat> you might consider taking a pen or, or, or a needle and lightly pricking the patient in the same area with a safety pin. Let's say it would also, do, it would also work to make sure that they have normal sensation. And if not, you might have some nerve damage that you have to be concerned about. Now, if the bone hasn't deformed the extremity, maybe a simple splint might be enough to immobilize the fracture and prevent further injury to soft tissues. And of course, it helps promote appropriate healing. There are a lot of versions as commercial versions, such as a very useful SAM splint, or you can improvise with boards and sticks. Uh, with either method, by the way, your Israeli battle dressing or ace wraps will be very handy to help secure these in place. Now, oftentimes, the bone's going to be obviously bent or otherwise deformed, and you're going to have to reduce the fracture, as we say, with dislocations. Now, this is going to be very painful, usually done under general anesthesia in normal times, but normal healing, complete recovery won't occur until the two ends of the broken bone are going to be realigned to their original position. And the decision to do this has to be quick, as increasing swelling in the area is going to make it harder to do as time goes on. So if you're going to reduce the deformity, it's best done with two people. If if had somebody who's been sedated a little bit, yeah, it'd right. be actually preferably they're <laughs> knocked straight out. But... Uh, if, if that's not the case, well, what you need to do is have one person support and provide traction on the side closest to the torso while another person exerts steady traction on the area beyond the fracture until the broken ends of the bone are aligned. There are a lot of risks to this pr procedure, I got to tell you. Nerves and blood vessels can be damaged, but unless you do reduce the deformed limb, normal healing is just not going to occur. And loss of function is going to be the result. And this is one of the really hard realities that medic faces if medical help isn't available. I mean, you have to 
somehow get that bone to be pointing in the right direction again. <laughs> right. And at least have both both ends together. Lined up, right. That's right. the important thing. Yeah, once you can actually get these bones to be aligned again, then you need to immediately splint the extremity in place after you do this reduction. Uh, in an open fracture, you got to thoroughly wash the wound. That's absolutely necessary to prevent internal infection. You may, infection may occur anyhow if, it, if the wound is dirty enough, even if you're successful in reducing the, the actual fracture. Therefore, you're going to need antibiotics. They're important to prevent complications such as the bone infection I called osteomyelitis earlier. You got to always check the pulse and capillary refill time after you perform the reduction because you could easily have damaged further the nerves or blood vessels at, with the reduction itself. But if you know, if you can check the pulses and make sure the pulses are going well, well, this may at least assure that there'll be adequate circulation beyond the level of the injury. Now there's traction, of course. Traction is a method to provide continuous tension on a bone that doesn't want to stay aligned after reduction of a fracture. And there are a number of ways to do this, which is most commonly performed on, let's say, a fracture of the thigh bone. That would be one of the most useful ones to use traction on, use useful injuries. And because you want to try to maintain the normal length of the leg, you can use strips of cloth to form a harness around the ankle itself and then connect that to another length of cloth or wrap to stretch the leg out. You have to figure out how to secure it in that position, though. That It's not that easy. Yeah, there are commercial versions of this, by the way, that, do, that are easier to deal with. And you might consider making these part of your medical storage. Now, it's very important to immobilize a fractured bone in, in a fashion that allows it to heal. And that means that you need to splint the bone in a normal, what we call a normal position. Okay, and so what's a normal position? Now, for arms, the elbow should be flexed at about a 90-degree angle to the upper arm. Uh, for ankles, the ankle should be at a 90-degree angle to the leg. For legs, the leg itself should be straight, but with a slight bend at the knee. For the wrist, the wrist should be straight or slightly extended <clears throat> upwards. And for fingers, the fingers should be flexed as if they were holding a glass of water so that's the normal position and that's what you should consider using or making sure that they're in that position and of course the splints will help you keep them in the position that you need uh, if you have to improvise with straight with some straight sticks bandanas t-shirts to immobilize the area do it because you need that bone to heal properly Another option that is really useful with sprains, but will give good protective padding for fractures as well, is to fold a pillow around the injury, duct tape it in place. Have you talked about arnica? I have. Arnica salve? No, I haven't talked about pain to? relief, but, I, but no, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about it. <laughs> I was going to talk about <clears throat> other stuff. Oh, okay. Well, I'm but pain is a big part of this. I so. would say so. Yeah, so, so of course you want to have some ibuprofen and Tylenol and other kinds of stuff. But there there's natural, yeah, right? There are certainly a lot of natural remedies. Yep, pain tinctures, uh, which usually have a passion flower as one of them. Of course, you can use the old willow bark that. The old Dr. Bones has talked about many times. Underbark. Underbark of the willow bark. The green. <laughs> the green bark. 
the the new bark, not the old crusty bark on the outside. I'm the only old and crusty <laughs> thing around here. Are you Krusty the Clown? I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I never liked that character. He was creepy. Anyway, uh, so willow bark. Let's see. So herbal tinctures are good. Find something. Um, you try the, it. You mentioned arnica. Yep. Well, I was going to get to that. Oh, Just a so second. sorry. So sorry. So a good salve. I mean, one of my favorite for favorites for actual external pain relief and to be able to place on the intact skin. Now, if you have an open fracture, an Arnica salve is not um, supposed to be used. So make sure it's intact skin that you're using this for. But it can be blended into a salve. You can also use the oil, Arnica oil. Now, you're going to have to get that now because it's going to be difficult to make Arnica essential oil in times of trouble. But either of those can be placed externally, and then you can cover them with gauze and then put your splint material because, of course, you need to pad the area before you put your splints on so there's no compression in certain areas. And that could just be a sock or, you know, just a, a little bit of gauze, just a little padding. Um, but it helps to protect, and that way you don't get any what's called pressure sores from having the splint right. pushing into one particular spot for an extended period of time. You think about how long it takes bones to heal, even with a traditional splint. Something oh, yeah. that is Six made to eight weeks. Yeah, something that's made in the emergency room that really immobilizes it versus something that you're using outside of the hospital that is not going to have as much um a mobile effect, a mobilizing effect. They, they might still be moving a little bit, so it's going to extend the healing time a little bit further. So you might have problems with pressure sores. So pat it before you put the splint on and use the Arnica for pain. It really, really does help. It absorbs very nicely into the skin, and you aren't going to have the person loopy. They're not going to be confused or get up in the middle of the night and stumble around and, and hurt themselves. I, I've used it, and it really works for the pain. It, it hasn't, does. It hasn't helped my confusion, though. <laughs> it's, mm. not, it's not going to cause confusion. It doesn't cure confusion. Current, my current confusion. And what and the really what I'm comparing it to is if somebody was taking pain medicine, they can have issues with being disoriented or being uncoordinated and possibly falling and hurting themselves and having kind of like a hangover too. So, you know, you don't want to really disturb someone's mental acuity in a survival situation. Everyone needs to be sharp. They might not be able to move as fast as everyone else, but you want the brains functioning. So try something natural and, and see if that helps, if you have to. Well, I am so glad you added that. So that is important. And Thank I, you. But you know what happens? What? Is sometimes you may have to cast a fracture. Yes. Now, how about putting on a cast? Oh, boy. Now, the casting material is uses uh, plaster of Paris or fiberglass, actually, is, is used nowadays a lot. It's pretty easy to obtain casting kits online, and they last forever, so... It's, a, it's something that if you're going to be responsible, especially in a situation where you think there's going to be significant trauma, you might consider getting some casting kits. Now, when placing a cast, 
I'm going to first start with a liner of cotton. That's called a stockinette. Not a stocking, but a stocking, <laughs> stockingette. <laughs> well, right, exactly. A French we're stocking. Talking about a French stocking. Protecting no. <laughs> the patient from right. pressure sores. And, and that's really one of the purposes, the biggest purpose of, of this part that you're talking about now. Right. And, of course, on top of that, you need pet rolls of padding to form a barrier between the skin itself and the cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, rolls of plaster of Paris or fibergra- fiberglass will be used then to um to give the uh the firmness the structure structure to it what you do is you immerse these things in uh, water for about 20 seconds or so then you wring out the excess water and you'll start wrapping now the thing is when you do this you be sure to keep the end of the roll between your fingers because believe me it sticks and could be very very difficult to find and so what you do is you always have the edge, like the two tip. pieces of tape right. stuck together. Exactly, exactly. So that's one thing that I think is a is a nice tip with if you're going to be doing any casting. Now, uh, what you'll do is you'll start to slowly roll the casting material around the area of the fracture. You're going to smooth it out as you go along. Every uh, roll, you advance one half of the thickness of the roll itself as you go from beyond the end of the fracture towards the torso. Now you're going to want maybe three layers of casting material on the area and but more in places where there's a bone uh that's sticking out but uh, not a broken bone that's sticking out but just naturally sticks out let's say the end of your the edge of your wrist would be an example now it's important to know that each fracture is casted somewhat different there are stockinettes there are padding there are casting rolls available in different widths and lengths appropriate to particular fractures so uh, i strongly recommend going and checking out some youtube videos on of people actually putting casts on so you can see some of the different casts that are that are uh, casting material that's used and the actual process i think this is something best done visually now they actually use these oscillating saws to have, to remove these casts because they are they become hard as a rock but Still, I mean, if you don't have electricity, there are some heavy-duty shears, special ones, available for this purpose. Although I can tell you, even with these things, there's a, a significant amount of effort that's still required. So let's review a little bit. Your goal is to immobilize the fracture in its normal position of functioning. You want to use padding under the splint or cast as much as possible to keep the injured area stable and protected. Um... There's six to eight weeks for the cast to form uh, material, uh, form scar tissue uh, called a callus that becomes new bone. Newly formed tissue will reunite the broken ends of the bone. Uh, larger bones are, or more complicated injuries will take longer than six to eight weeks. You have to be prepared for that. And if you don't align the end, broken ends of the bone, don't reduce the fracture, the function of the extremity is probably going to be permanently compromised. I wanted to mention a couple of things about fingers and toes. You can splint them together, uh, tape tape them to a adjoining digit that is not injured. That's called the buddy method, and this will help protect them. There are a lot of small manufactured splints that also do the job. Uh, neck and, don't, in, and, wait, and don't worry, they won't grow together. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're not going to end up with web a feet claw, or something. Or right? a claw. Yes. That's right. Um, <laughs> Just clean very well in between. 
neck in in between those toes right (laughs) neck injuries are particularly serious and you should invest in getting a good neck collar that you'll be able to that you'll be able to use to help stabilize those kinds of injuries Uh, rib fractures rib fractures are commonly treated by taping the affected area because it's the motion of breathing that causes the pain associated with the rib fracture now although reduction is usually not necessary in these cases taping the area may help provide pain relief Uh, rib fractures become more serious however if the fracture punctures a lung that's bad that could, could causes a condition known as a pneumothorax I think I'll save that topic for a later show I don't because blame I want you. to talk about that in some <laughs> detail. That's a there's, lot of details right, to talk about there. There's open pneumothorax, there's sucking chest wounds, there's flail chest, there's closed pneumothorax, there's even a spontaneous pneumothorax. You can actually pop your lungs by for, with doing nothing. So we'll talk about that next time. Uh, let's uh, take a short break. You're listening to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour with the lovely Nurse Amy and that old Dr. Bones. Hey, I want to tell you just a little bit of news on our part. Uh, We're honored to be named to Jack Spierko's Survival Podcast Expert Council. Amazing! Yeah, Jack Jack Spierko is... (laughs) Maybe the granddaddy of survival <clears throat> podcasters, I would guess. He's gotten, he has probably 1,700. I think he's 1,764 podcasts. Something crazy like that. But so every Friday. Every Friday have... he has an expert council. In other words, a number of different experts that are asked questions mm-hmm. by his listeners. Listeners, right. yes. And we are part of that council. And they're going to ask us medical questions. And so every week we will get a question and we'll answer it and that will appear on jack show the survival podcast every friday Mm -hmm. but also we will talk a little bit about that same issue on our podcast as well and today the topic is what the average new prepper might consider adding to his or her medical storage that can be obtained at the local store or pharmacy and so we discuss that on jack's show and uh, we'll talk a little bit about it right now Okay, so let's say that you're 100% new to the medical part of prepping and you want to know what the first items that you should be getting right out of the gate for a basic first aid kit. And by the way, I want to say, I think this is an excellent question. Oh, I think it is. I do, because I think sometimes, because we've been doing this so long, and I think a lot of our regular listeners have been doing this so long, that we start... Start talking, talking about advanced things. Advanced, right. that's the exact word I was going to use. Boy, you read minds, don't you? I what am I do. thinking now? You're thinking, <sighs> when will he shut up? No. <laughs> I was thinking, I really love him. Oh, well, that's very nice. <laughs> but the point is, a lot of times we do talk about these advanced things like fractures and pneumothoraxes and gunshot wounds and all of these truly advanced things. And I think it is nice to step back and get a question of where do I start instead of overwhelming these people with advanced information. So I think that's great. I think every single time we have a show, we should have a beginner section and let people who are just starting say, oh, yes, that's one of the first things I need to know. Well, you know what? Even if you're new to prepping, at least the person who asked this question figured out that 
they need more than beans and bullets because let's face it you can have all the beans in the world and all the bullets in the world but it's not worth a hill of beans and you're going to shoot yourself in the foot if you don't have the bandages uh it takes a lot more sense to put together a good kit on your own than buying some walmart version and you'll have much better stuff so i want people to design their own kits personally we put together kits uh i think they're great kits however I don't think they're personal kits. If you get your own stuff, put it all together, I think that that's even better. And that's from a guy who designs medical kits <laughs> with his well, lovely from the, wife. from the husband who... Yes. Of. Right. There no, you go. We did it together. So, Absolutely. So anyhow, so let's talk about some of the first items a new prepper can find in a local store, or at least at the local pharmacy. Let's start with the most basic of all, hand sanitizer and soap. If you're going to be in charge of the medical stuff for your family in times of trouble hygiene issues are going to be big things and you know it'll cause a lot of unnecessary deaths due to infection absolutely and another thing in that same category that i would add would be shampoo right sure i mean we're probably i know you've talked about this before we've t- worried about issues like lice and other issues of bugs and all kinds of creepy crawlies in our hair so not only are you going to have to shampoo or wash your body you're going to have to shampoo your hair so guys um, I know it's easier for you to just use soap but for the women it's not so easy you're going to need some sort of shampoo Um, even if it's dawn dish detergent uh, you know we're not worried about the pretty hair we're just worried about keeping everything clean I think I'll just shave everybody's head <laughs> in our group. yes but then worried uh, then you worry about little nicks and cuts from shaving ah, which allows that. bacteria to get in so you may not want to do that and well I the think, good news is that most yes. bacteria and viruses just can't stand up to plain old soap and water yep and you scrub them off That's you right. get rid of them absolutely That's right. and I, I would also add just as a storage item don't forget some deodorant or something like baking soda and tea tree essential oil you can mix that up and put a little bit under your armpits and absorb odor and um help prevent infections there you go tea tree and baking soda all right so let's see so we're talking about hygiene hygiene applies to everybody staying as clean as possible i mentioned that uh, on Jack's show that nobody's going to smell like flowers but the cleaner you are (laughs) the healthier you're going to be and by the way it goes for water and food the cleaner your water and food are the healthier you'll be so bleach iodine tablets boiling or just plain old uv light from the sun they'll go a long way to staving off infections that cause a diarrheal disease things like dysentery gloves you're going to want to have you before you work on a wound you want to have some gloves uh, get a good supply of these get them in nitrile not latex there's a big epidemic of latex allergies so get nitrile n-i-t-r-i-l-e uh, antiseptics are very important most wounds in survival settings are going to be dirty so uh, you may not want sutures and staples they have their place but they're a little more advanced uh, for if you're starting out just get some antiseptics so you can clean a wound you got to get out the debris and the bacteria that's important so that alcohol iodine or betadine solution hydrogen peroxide chlorhexidine these are all decent choices to get. Not only that, but they're easy to get. Which That's right. is the whole point of this. is not having to go to a special medical store or find this in one location on the internet. Something that the general public can get. 
Right, exactly. Uh, you need a light source. Uh, people might just need your help after dark. I mean, and, you know, it's dark as much as it is light. Uh, that's many, right. Depending on the time of year it is. And if that's right. the case, you want to have a light source. Uh, flashlights are great. But you need to have both hands free. Get a decent headlamp. And you can find those at Walmart. There are plenty of them there. Uh, you'll need a good pair of scissors. Uh, EMT shears are great. Uh, bandage scissors are great. Uh, their design, however, is just meant to protect the victim's skin when you're working fast. So maybe just a good, solid, regular pair of scissors may work for you. Uh, you need over-the-counter meds. Uh, not everything you're dealing with is going to be a wound. You're going to be dealing with diarrhea, fevers, colds, flus, allergies, acid, reflux, lots of other stuff. So have an entire medicine cabinet in your medical bag because you're going to need it. That is very important. Uh, you'll need ace wraps and ice packs for orthopedic injuries. There's going to be a lot of sprains and strains, so you need to have a way to treat and immobilize injured joints. Gauze dressings, gosh, every kid has gauze, but you need a good variety of dressings. You need squares, you need roller dressings. If you're dealing with burns, you need non-stick dressings like Telfa pads and thicker pads like uh, the uh, multi-trauma dressings, those ABD pads. You can find these at the local pharmacy, of course, for burns. Burn gel, aloe vera, that's going to be important stuff to have. Uh, butterfly closures uh, to deal with small cuts. Steri strips are another version. Uh, every sick room should have a good supply of face masks. Uh, there are different types we'll go over in the future, but you need a barrier between you and the sick person. That's important. Uh, and lastly, you might consider a pressure cooker. Aha, you didn't Aha. think that was a medical item, but indeed it is. You may have instruments or uh, gauze that you want to sterilize. So pressure steaming them at 15 to 20 PSI for 30 minutes, that's going to do the job. There's a special way to do this. You better read the cooker's instruction manual. But having disinfected instruments and dressings is a great way to succeed as a medic, even if everything else fails. Now, I'll bet you can think of a lot more simple items that you need in times of trouble. I hope you will connect with us and leave us some feedback and give us some ideas. This is, I guess, the end of our show. That's right. You've been listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with the old Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.